Good morning. It's good to see everyone here. Um, really good to see Rich and Yvonne. Yvonne had to reintroduce herself to me this morning. Thank you. And uh, I know Dennis is glad to see them because it makes him feel younger. <laughs> and that's a good thing. It's good to be together in the house of the Lord. What a time of worship together and um, hmm, a time of focus on, on the goodness of our God, the glory of our Savior. Um, we need to focus on that, don't we? Let's start with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, as we look together into your word this morning, Lord, as you make your presence known among us, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. And Lord, we ask that uh, you would bless your word to us. Lord, you would uh, feed us, feed our souls from your word. And uh, as you shine your light on our hearts and on our lives, give us the desire to draw close to you, to follow you, to go where you lead us. <clears throat> and we'll give you the praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> the kingdom. Last week we began by looking at where and what the kingdom is, and we saw seven perspectives on the kingdom of God. The kingdom is eternal, kingdom of heaven. And he rules, God rules over his creation, the kingdom of creation. He chose a nation, Israel, to model his rule in the world and to be the people from whom the king would come. We saw Jesus the king displaying God's kingdom as he walked this earth. The kingdom, remember, is where the king is. And King Jesus is in each believer. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and his church, his ecclesia, is also meant to be his body and model for his kingdom today in the earth. King Jesus will return and physically reign over the earth for 1,000 years in the millennium, after which he will return the kingdom to his Father for eternity. And we see a full circle, don't we? Beginning in eternity and returning to eternity. Uh, only God. <laughs> only God could come up with that. That's the full circle of the presence of the kingdom. Today, we want to talk about the person of the kingdom. And believe me, this is going to be um, inadequate. <laughs> we can't even fathom the depths of everything that, that our king is. <laughs> everything that he does. Uh, everything he, that he is to us. But we want to remind ourselves of some of those things. And uh, just contemplate our king. Um, if a kingdom doesn't have a king, it's really not a kingdom, is it? <laughs> it's just kind of a, a place or a constitutional republic or something like that. But to be a kingdom, you need a king. 
And um, our king is Jesus. Um, something that may not occur to you, but over 600 verses in the New Testament um, contain the word Lord. The word Lord is used to address royalty, isn't it, my Lord? (laughs) Both earthly and heavenly royalty. When we speak to and about our Lord Jesus Christ, we are acknowledging His kingship. Uh, Maybe we haven't thought of it in those terms before, but that's the reality of it. There it is. Lord Jesus, you are my king. When we say Lord Jesus, that's what we're saying. So, one of the aspects of kingship is authority, dominion, the right to rule. Does this apply to Jesus? Um, I think so, and that's what we're going to do like we did last week, and like um, I like to do, is read Scripture. (laughs) Because we know that God's words are true, and they're powerful, and they're valuable, as opposed to whatever I might say. So let's read Scripture together and get the uh, truth and the value and the power from that. Start in Matthew 28, and it should be visible. And I'll read you, follow along. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority, there it is, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. All authority. Which parts of authority are left out? Good answer. None. Okay. (laughs) Let's move over to John chapter 13. The story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. In verse 3, he says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. All things were given to him. Here's a really good one in Daniel in chapter 7, starting in verse 13. Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Wow. Revelation. And we could go on and on. The Bible is full of these references. But let's finish with the first chapter of the Revelation. Um, Verses 5 and 6. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. There it is. 
to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood and has made us kings and priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So be it. Hmm. Any doubts who the king is? I don't have any. I hope you don't either. Bible's pretty clear on this topic. Jesus Christ is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Um, let's just think about the, the passages we've just read together. God has given His Son all authority in heaven and earth. All means all. It's one of those technical words. It means all. There's nothing that Jesus does not have authority over. God has given all things into Jesus' hands. Again, all things. Our king knew that he had come from God and he was going to God. That's our king. That's my king. That's your king. Our king has been given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Everyone. No one's left out. All peoples, nations, and languages will serve him. His dominion is everlasting. His kingdom shall not be destroyed. You know, when you stop and think about it, the king lives within us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we are in him um, as believers. So we are in his kingdom, aren't we? We talked about that last week. But I got to thinking, so is everybody else. The kingdom has loyal subjects and it has rebels in it, doesn't it? (laughs) Maybe the question to ask yourself, am I a loyal subject or am I a rebel? It's not going to work out very well for the rebels. He is the faithful witness. What do you think that means? Um, I think it means that, first of all, he was given a task by the Father and he faithfully fulfilled it. Secondly, he displayed everything that we can know about God. He is the human face of God himself. When you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He's our king. He's the preeminent. That's what firstborn means. First in quality, first in preeminence. Never to die again, firstborn from among the dead. You know, Jesus wasn't the first person raised from the dead. And he wasn't the first person translated from earth into God's presence. Enoch did that, and Elijah did that. But Jesus is the first one to die, be raised from the dead, and never face death again. Conquered death. The rest of the, the people that we know about in Scripture that, that were raised from the dead, that was a witness to God's power, but eventually they died again, didn't they? Not Jesus. Not our King. Never to die again. The firstborn from among the dead. He rules over the kings of the earth. Kings have authority and power and dominion, but Jesus has authority and power and dominion over them. 
And with all of that, with all of that power, with all that authority, with all of that preeminence, He loves us. That is amazing. Um, I don't know about you, but I know I'm not that lovely. (laughs) And He loves me. (laughs) And uh, that is incredible. If you get the feeling that you've heard some of this before, I hope you have. But I want to reinforce these these, uh, truths. We need to reinforce them. We need to be uh, reminded of our King. He cleansed me from my sin with His own blood and yours too. And that's a King that's doing this. He is our King. Such a King. There's more. There's more. There's much more. If we turn over to Colossians chapter 1, maybe one of the greatest concentrations of attributes and actions of our King in one spot in Scripture. Um, Starting in verse 13, God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Again, redemption, we're bought with a price and set free and forgiven, forgiven. Do you know the word conveyed there? Um, you might, your translation might say um, translated into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Um, we don't see this this often because of when and where we live, the culture we're in. But in old time culture, um, especially in a kingdom or a, an empire, when the king or the emperor um, defeated a nation and took them captive, one of the signs of his dominion over that captured nation was he rounded up, if not all the population, a representative large sample of the population and moved them from where they used to be into his kingdom. He conveyed them into a new kingdom. And that demonstrated his authority, his power over them, his right to rule and reign. And God has done that with us. And the kingdom he's put us in is the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus Christ our King. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. Excuse me, moving on. He, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Once again, our King Jesus is the human face of Almighty God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God would respond and behave in situations, look how Jesus responded and behaved in situations that He was in. And preeminent preeminent over all creation. This word all keeps coming up, doesn't it? All, everything. Everything made, everything created. He has preeminence. He is the firstborn over all creation. And then for by Him, 
All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. That you could spend the rest of your life understanding all that and getting the full impact of of that. But Jesus is the creator. Our king created everything. And not just the seen things. Not just what we can measure. But he created everything in the spiritual realm. The angels. The principalities. The powers. The dominions. The thrones. Everything was created by him through him, and for him. He, he's the creator of everything, seen, unseen, physical, or spiritual. If I have to live, if I want to live, if I choose to live, if I have, am given the opportunity to live in a kingdom, and again, we talked about this last week, that's not really our thing as Americans. We're not used to that idea. So we have to get over that, don't we? Um, but if I, if I am given that opportunity, this is the kind of king I'd like to have for my king. Um, someone, some wise person once said, excuse me, wise person, Inslee's not my king. That's a direct quote, by the way. And I have to agree. Um, but if we're going to have a king, wouldn't it be good to have Jesus, the creator, the firstborn, the preeminent one? Moving on in first, or in yeah, first Colossians. In Colossians 1. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. Oh boy, this is a good one. Uh, this is a good one. He is before all things. What do you think that means? Literally. Hmm. Notice the, the verb tense. He is. He is present tense before anything was. That doesn't give your brain a little twist. I don't know what will. But there it is. Jesus is before. Preexistent. All things. And in him, all things consist. All things literally hold together. Anybody um, pay attention like I do without understanding much? But I like to read about how scientists are delving into the secrets of uh, subatomic particles and quantum physics and those kind of fun, happy thoughts. Um, do you think about that when you're plowing fields, Mark? Quantum physics? Not, if I don't have to. Not so much. <laughs> um, they've made some incredible discoveries. But one thing they cannot tell you is how everything holds together. They, every time they, they make a new discovery, it opens up more that they don't know. 
They don't know how. They don't know why. If they'd ask, I could tell them. Jesus holds all things together, doesn't he? Now, this is a great thought right here because that holding things together he has done since he created all things. That's the reason the universe is held together. Jesus is holding it together. There's a verse in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. I'll read that for you. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Remember, uh, you might be familiar or remember that verse. What's interesting in connection with Jesus holding all things together. When it says in 1 Peter, the elements will melt, the word melt literally is loosed. When Jesus lets go, it's gone. Literally. <laughs> that kind of, if I had hair, it would raise on the back of my neck. <clears throat> and he is the head. Jesus is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, as we've said, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He, who is the originator and firstborn from the dead, is the head of the church. We have a head. We are a body. We have a head. Our head is our king. King Jesus is our head. He's glorious. But his glory is not confined to eternity, eternal things, spiritual, theological concepts. He displays his glory in the way he acts or interacts with people. He interacts gloriously with people, with you and with me. We have examples sitting right here among us, of people who have had Jesus' glory touch their lives for healing, for rescue, for direction. Um, it's glorious. And that's from Him. That's Him, Jesus, our King, displaying His glory to us. Um, let's look at John Chapter 1, and starting in verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then there's a really interesting verse in the next chapter. Chapter 2 of John and verse 11. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. 
I think there's a connection between Jesus' glory and our ability and desire and growing in our faith and our belief. It worked for the disciples. It should work for us. Those disciples were already following Jesus. But when they saw His glory, they believed. Maybe it's important to see His glory. Maybe that matters. Do you know the longest recorded one-on-one conversation in the New Testament between Jesus and a person? What do you think it is? I mean, he talked to Peter, he talked to John, he talked to Nicodemus. Um, and I'm sure he talked to many people, but the, the longest conversation recorded, what do you think? John chapter 4, the woman at the well. She asks questions and he's very patient and he takes her places that she had no idea. Um, again, displaying his glory. The longest one-on-one conversation recorded in the Gospels is Jesus talking to a woman. Think about that. Here's a Jewish man having a conversation with a woman. Not okay. Not done. From Samaria, even worse. (laughs) Even worse, if possible. Um, Not ever done by good Jews. Um, Who, in this conversation, Jesus, showed her how to receive the water of life. His glory transcends and ignores the prejudices that we live with. Isn't that amazing? We have so many of those that we don't even recognize. And yet Jesus sees right through it and overcomes, overcomes those. That's glorious. This is how our King and His glory is displayed in the world. Remember, still in John, Moving over to chapter 8, what happened there? That's where he began to teach in the courtyard of the temple. And the Pharisees, who were out to get him, had set a trap, hadn't they? Probably had paid someone to make this woman... um, a transgressor of the law, very obviously, caught in the very act of adultery. What, uh, what John doesn't mention, but is assumed the readers know, is that the law of Moses on this topic said that both the man and the woman were to be stoned. They didn't bring a man. They just brought a woman to trap Jesus. Moses said she should be put to death. What do you say? Jesus knew what was in their hearts. Jesus knew what they were trying to do. They were trying to to trap him, and they were being very, very abusive to this woman. He did not allow the religious bullies uh, 
to follow through. Their plan was murder. And it was at the expense of a woman that they set up to accuse was how they planned to trap Jesus. But graciously, he told her that he did not accuse her and that she should go and sin no more. He's full. Our king is full of grace and truth. His grace, His mercy extends to all. Neither do I condemn thee. Hmm. You can imagine this woman thrown on the ground at the feet of Jesus and her head bowed, not wanting to even look and expecting death and deserving death. Does that sound familiar? I deserve death. Jesus did not condemn me. He did not condemn this woman. With her head down, she begins to, she hears what he says, and she begins to hear the stones that were meant to kill her just start dropping on the ground. And the crowd of sandaled feet standing around her suddenly dwindles down to just two feet belonging to Jesus. He loves. Again, nothing here that's news. You've heard this. You know these things. Why is it important to remember, to review, to go over these things? I think one of the reasons, and and the, the reason I want to focus on now, is as we saw... In the story of the wedding at Cana. When Jesus displayed his glory. And how did he display it there? There was a a bridegroom who, on the biggest day of his life, was responsible for the wine being available for this wedding party. And it ran out. And believe me, he would have been known the rest of his life as, oh yeah, you're the guy who let the wine ran out, run out at your wedding. What were you thinking? He would have been shamed the rest of his life. Jesus turned his shame into what? His honor. I've never seen this done before. Everybody gives the good wine first, and then after everybody's had a few tips, then they bring out the bad stuff. You did it the other way around. You're amazing. It became his greatest shame, became his greatest honor. That was Jesus again, our king, displaying his glory. It matters because we can trust him more. Our faith can grow as we see the glory of our king. That's what happened to the disciples. They saw his glory and they believed. We already believe Hopefully. If not, the opportunity is there. But we can grow in our faith, can't we?
As we walk through our week ahead, let's always be remembering His glory, our King's glory. The more of His glory we see, and by the way, remind each other, that's one of the main duties in our body, is to exhort and encourage one another in the Lord. And the way to do that is remind each other of how glorious our King is. The more of His glory we see, the stronger our faith will be, and just like the disciples. And I, um, I came to this, <laughs> this opportunity, not with fear, but with a sense of total inadequacy. Uh, this topic is so far greater than my ability to communicate so much larger than, than the worlds can contain. Remember John penning the uh, gospel said that I suppose that if everything he did was written down, the world couldn't contain it. Um, my point, my, my, my hope, my prayer for today is that, first of all, God's word does its work in each heart. And second of all, that you're encouraged to reflect on and receive the glory of your King in a way that increases your faith, that strengthens your faith. And uh, to leave you today, I would like to just read a reminder from Paul Tripp, who said, when injustice assaults again. When image bearers die again. When grieving mothers mourn again. When communities lament again. When eyes are closed again. When backs are turned again. When right takes a hit again. When business as usual returns again. When accountability is questioned again. When narratives are twisted again. When anger rises again. When hope dims again. Then we remember again. The kings of earth do not hold our hope. <clears throat> then we remember again. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. They will fail us again. They will compromise again. Forsake their call again. Like your people of old, harmed by corrupt kings, we will remember again our hope is held by a greater king. We will work again. We will stand again. We will fight again because we know our greater king is just, is good, is righteous, is merciful in every way. He will rise again and right every wrong again. While we wait, we will hope. We will believe. We will work. We will pray we will right wrongs again and again until the greater King comes again 
to usher in righteousness forever. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us into your kingdom. That our king is so glorious. Shine the light of your glory into our hearts. Increase our faith, Lord. Strengthen us together. We'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.